real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tory. Today is January 8th, 2018. 2018. 2020. It's not 2018. It's 2020. Um, we have a lot to talk about today, I guess, because uh, we had a great kabuki revenge type theater happening in the Middle East. Uh, a lot of weird coincidences, a lot of things that are happening. And I will play for you, for those of you that didn't have access to social media or the television, uh, the very concise and superb, it was so eloquent, so perfect of a speech that the president gave uh, while accompanied by every single uniform you could imagine. Uh, and that was to tell the world that was watching. Uh, I've never seen such insane numbers. Uh, there were three YouTube uh, outlets that I were looking at, Fox, um, Golden State, uh, you know, um, wow, so many. Even CBS and ABC, they had over a quarter million people watching. Facebook almost had 400,000 just on the Fox feed. The White House had another quarter million. We're talking millions of people online just to see what he had to say. Now, you would say, well, you know, it's not every day that uh, the mainstream media lies and tells us about a war that was never happening but, you know, we talked about Wag the Dog months ago, right? The way, I, you know, I said, go rent the movie out, watch it. It's very important. Um, so I'm going to play his 10-minute um, his, uh, concise address uh, for all of you to hear. Take a listen. As long as I'm president of the United States, Iran will never be allowed to have a nuclear weapon. Good morning. I'm pleased to inform you the American people should be extremely grateful and happy. No Americans were harmed in last night's attack by the Iranian regime. We suffered no casualties. All of our soldiers are safe, and only minimal damage was sustained at our military bases. Our great American forces are prepared for anything. Iran appears to be standing down, which is a good thing for all parties concerned and a very good thing for the world. No American or Iraqi lives were lost because of the precautions taken, the dispersal of forces, and an early warning system that worked very well. I salute the incredible skill and courage of America's men and women in uniform for far too long, all the way back to 1979, to be exact. Nations have tolerated Iran's destructive and destabilizing behavior in the Middle East and beyond. Those days are over. Iran has been the leading sponsor of terrorism, and their pursuit of nuclear weapons threatens the civilized world. We will never let that happen. Last week, we took decisive action to stop a ruthless terrorist from threatening American lives. At my direction, the United States military eliminated the world's top terrorist 
Qasem Soleimani. As the head of the Quds Force, Soleimani was personally responsible for some of the absolutely worst atrocities. He trained terrorist armies, including Hezbollah, launching terrorist strikes against civilian targets. He fueled bloody civil wars all across the region. He viciously wounded and murdered thousands of U.S. troops, including the planting of roadside bombs that maim and dismember their victims. Soleimani directed the recent attacks on U.S. personnel in Iraq that badly wounded four service members and killed one American, and he orchestrated the violent assault on the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad. In recent days, he was planning new attacks on American targets, but we stopped him. Soleimani's hands were drenched in both American and Iranian blood. He should have been terminated long ago. By removing Soleimani, we have sent a powerful message to terrorists. If you value your own life, you will not threaten the lives of our people. As we continue to evaluate options in response to Iranian aggression, the United States will immediately impose additional punishing economic sanctions on the Iranian regime. These powerful sanctions will remain until Iran changes its behavior. In recent months alone, Iran has seized ships in international waters, fired an unprovoked strike on Saudi Arabia, and shot down two U.S. drones. Iran's hostilities substantially increased after the foolish Iran nuclear deal was signed in 2013, and they were given $150 billion, not to mention $1.8 billion in cash. Instead of saying thank you to the United States, they chanted death to America. In fact, they chanted death to America the day the agreement was signed. Then Iran went on a terror spree, funded by the money from the deal, and created hell in Yemen, Syria, Lebanon, Afghanistan, and Iraq. The missiles fired last night at us and our allies were paid for with the funds made available by the last administration. The regime also greatly tightened the reins on their own country, even recently killing 1,500 people at the many protests that are taking place all throughout Iran. The very defective JCPOA expires shortly anyway and gives Iran a clear and quick path to nuclear breakout. Iran must abandon its nuclear ambitions and end its support for terrorism. The time has come for the United Kingdom, Germany, France, Russia, and China to recognize this reality. They must now break away from the remnants of the Iran deal, or JCPOA. And we must all work together toward making a deal with Iran that makes the world a safer and more peaceful place. We must also make a deal that allows Iran to thrive and prosper and take advantage of its enormous untapped potential. Iran can be a great country, 
peace and stability cannot prevail in the Middle East as long as Iran continues to foment violence, unrest, hatred, and war. The civilized world must send a clear and unified message to the Iranian regime. Your campaign of terror, murder, mayhem will not be tolerated any longer. It will not be allowed to go forward. Today, I am going to ask NATO to become much more involved in the Middle East process. Over the last three years, under my leadership, our economy is stronger than ever before, and America has achieved energy independence. These historic accomplishments change our strategic priorities. These are accomplishments that nobody thought were possible. And options in the Middle East became available. We are now the number one producer of oil and natural gas anywhere in the world. We are independent, and we do not need Middle East oil. The American military has been completely rebuilt under my administration at a cost of $2.5 trillion. U.S. armed forces are stronger than ever before. Our missiles are big, powerful, accurate, lethal, and fast. Under construction are many hypersonic missiles. The fact that we have this great military and equipment, however, does not mean we have to use it. We do not want to use it. American strength, both military and economic, is the best deterrent. Three months ago, after destroying 100% of ISIS and its territorial caliphate, we killed the savage leader of ISIS, al-Baghdadi, who was responsible for so much death, including the mass beheadings of Christians, Muslims, and all who stood in his way. He was a monster. Al-Baghdadi was trying again to rebuild the ISIS caliphate and failed. Tens of thousands of ISIS fighters have been killed or captured during my administration. ISIS is a natural enemy of Iran. The destruction of ISIS is good for Iran, and we should work together on this and other shared priorities. Finally, to the people and leaders of Iran, we want you to have a future, and a great future, one that you deserve, one of prosperity at home and harmony with the nations of the world. The United States is ready to embrace peace with all who seek it. I want to thank you, and God bless America. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. That was an excellent speech and made it clear that just because we are powerful, just because we have the technology, it doesn't mean that we need to eradicate life. The one thing the president has campaigned on, has proven time and time again, is to value life no matter where it is. He's made that clear to China, who are bound by their communistic, 
commodity-like approach to their people with compassion, which is super weird. Uh, they're still trying to figure that out. Um, Mao was the reason this happened. We have a president that sanctions life, that makes it clear to you that ISIS, IRGC, those groups are dangerous for everyone, including Iranians. The Persians, an ancient group of persons that have been around for a long time, radicalized before in the past in the uh, 1200s, 1300s, 1400s, 1500s. They were radicalized by the Mongols that came from the east and those that were pushing from the south after taking down you know, Ethiopia. The battle for the black box in Mecca by the Muslim Brotherhood, the radicalized, the fanatics, and this is why they're not part of the Arab League, was what defined, what, I wouldn't say defined, what allowed, it was like, uh, just like this wound that was open from, uh, you know, the Muslim with an O um, and Persian attacks in the 1800s, just so you know, that allowed globalist leaders, this nefarious shadow government that reports to who? To them. To penetrate the Persians, to create the Iran you have known for the past 50 years by giving them the for 50 years now, they've been enriching uranium for the world. And they were designated to be that blind spot where nefarious activities can be funded. I mean, you always need a boogeyman. And this is where the relief of being the boogeyman comes from. This is how it's coming. And you know what I found bizarre? I'm going to play a song that was trending. Okay, listen to this being played um, in Iran this morning a lot. I'm just going to say this was on their airwaves um, through and through their social media, persons, TikTok, uh, Snapchat. Listen, it's a nice song. It's not bad, actually. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> Yeah. 
Great song, wasn't that? And that was playing throughout all the sites that I monitor um, to get news on how um, things are weighing out. And it's pretty interesting that it was playing on all of them. And I thought I would share because it's a pretty nice song, isn't it? It's uh, very full of, uh, I guess, at the time of despair, uh, asking for help, uh, reinforcing the notion how prayer is very important. Now, uh, we can talk about yesterday and what the mainstream media, but before we do, what I want us to uh, take a look at is what has been going on in uh, you know, behind the curtain, what you're not hearing a lot about. Uh, and um, it's it's actually very interesting and intriguing to see uh, President Putin uh, making his moves. And I almost like to think that, you know, his stealthy way of maneuvering is so beneficial to peace. And, uh, you know, you can say whatever, I'm not a Russian bot and I'm not a Russophile per se, but the strategy just um, seems to be more of a sidekick supportive one than anything. Take a listen to what happened yesterday. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Um, I suppose uh, the United States is busy trying to get as many people on side. And if we're going to take what the U.S. Secretary of State said uh, this past few days, he's not very impressed with uh, the cautious approach that Europe is taking at the moment. Yes, we're seeing some really quite moderate language being used by European leaders here on the continent, uh, something that has, as you say, disappointed the U.S. Secretary of State. We've, have co uh, we've had calls almost unanimously, uh, even from Russia, for de-escalation, for uh, powers to work together, using diplomacy uh, to reduce tensions and prevent a further major conflict. And that's certainly uh, one of the many reasons why Chancellor Angela Merkel is traveling to Moscow uh, to visit her uh, Russian counterpart, President Putin, on Saturday on the table there. Uh, lots to talk about, of course, the developing situation in Iran and Iraq, but also uh, escalating crisis uh, in Libya, as well as continuing problems in Syria, as well as the Ukraine. Uh, there is a shared ground between uh, Chancellor Merkel and President Putin. Both have a desire uh, for tensions to de-escalate. They also both have a desire to protect the 2015 Iran nuclear deal. Certainly, Russia has indicated that it continues to see that as a global asset. It will too, along with other European leaders, be working uh, to protect what remains of that agreement. Certainly, that will be on the table when those two powers meet this weekend. All right, so Europe, I suppose, uh, with the British Foreign Secretary meeting his uh, counterparts uh, in the EU, EU, probably wanting to come with a, a common standpoint uh, with this. Is there any indication that uh, this joint position will then be taken to the U.S.? I think we haven't had a huge amount of detail about the discussions that are going on between the European powers and the US. There seems to be a lot going on behind the scenes. Certainly, we had that press conference with NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg yesterday, where he would give very, he gave very little information about what exactly was being said. He said that there had been new information presented to the alliance over the course of the last few days about 
that operation, but it was clear that that was a unilateral decision, a U.S. decision uh, to undertake this drone strike that killed General Soleimani. He would not be drawn uh, Jens Stoltenberg, the Secretary General, on any specific criticism of that U.S. action. But certainly, uh, we can tell there is, uh, there is nuanced language being used, but certainly uh, European powers are working to de-escalate the situation, to use more moderate language than perhaps we're getting uh, from the US. But there are no public spats at the moment. Clearly, uh, there is a shared criticism of the activities of Iran in the Middle East, of uh, uh, the presence of Iranian-backed militia in the region, of its recent uh, destabilizing activities. Uh, but there hasn't been any public criticism specifically directed at the US. But certainly, the, the EU powers are working to present a coordinated uh, front at the moment. So Boris Johnson, again, also, I mean, he's uh, seen as uh, perhaps uh, Donald Trump's biggest mate, but for some reason, he's also being quite cautious here, warning against the bombing of cultural sites in particular. Uh, what do we make of that? Well, we have had, I think that was a, a fairly targeted uh, comment uh, to Donald Trump, that the targeting of, of 52 cultural sites would be ill-advised. But certainly he, uh, Boris Johnson, the UK Prime Minister, has said that he won't shed any tears over the death of General Soleimani, talking about uh, his uh, activities in the region, which have destabilized the Middle East. Certainly uh, the attack on coalition sites in recent days, condemning the cycle of violence and putting the acti activities of Iran right at the heart of that. But we have seen certainly more moderate language uh, used by the EU, who, have, uh, who are determined both to issue uh, an invitation to Iran to, uh, to bring them over here so that uh, to Brussels in order that those discussions can take place to continue. Okay, so that's it. They're going to bring him over to Brussels and guess who else was invited? Putin, German Chancellor Merkel, and Russian President Vladimir Putin are meeting this week. Pretty interesting. But do you know where he was today? That's right. Turkey. So we'll get into that because the behind the scenes of telling you exactly what is transpiring. See you all in just a bit after this break. So welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Again here, this is the second half hour of the first hour. I wanted to talk about what's going on behind the scenes as we analyze what happened yesterday. So yesterday I was on a tweeting storm. I was supposed to be doing something else and I was, I was so shocked to see the media gaslight the world. They were gaslighting the world, telling them we're going to war, dropping things like you're being drafted. Half of the U.S. fighting age men and women aren't even qualified to fight. Um, but that tells you where the mainstream media sits and how perfect it was for us to be able to expose that. And here, this conversation that I'm going to continue so you can listen to it, 
tells you everything you need to know about who is now left. What power, aggregated power, is left trying to command the scene? So we can head to Brussels, which is a stone's throw away from Luxembourg, which is a stone's throw away from Germany, England, and France, and understand just what's happening. Uh, You know, on that note, I just wanted to say the day before yesterday, we had our first Space Force deployment. We didn't have to shoot one bullet, one missile, nothing, no deaths. And I really question where the missiles were supposedly coming from. And my sources told me they were old Turkish missiles that Iran had, and they were not being shot from Western Iran. And the target was not a U.S. base. They were trying to distract for their actual goal, which did not work because Space Force. Now, this Kabuki revenge theater and this apologetic stance that I've been seeing going around, well, Iran wanted to show the world that they're going to fight back. It's like, you know, the little the little guy that picks a fist fight with the, you know, big, uh, you know, footballer. And because the guy was picking on him, supposedly he fought back and we should applaud the little skinny dude that had no chance ever to hit the big bad bully. That's the picture now that the mainstream media is pushing. The United States is a bully. Iran just wanted to show, you took out our leader and we are fighting back even though we can't. This is the picture they're painting. Look at it. Sympathizing, having some sympathy to it. And now the EU is telling you, we are going to come together with a coordinated position. Coordinated position. So listen to the rest of this conversation. It's very, very interesting. Continue to cooperate uh, with friends in Iran and Iraq to preserve the peace. Uh, the EU has certainly held back from those specific attacks uh, on General Soleimani, uh, which uh, have been used uh, by certainly by the UK Prime Minister and other EU leaders. So Iran has uh, promised revenge, and I wonder if uh, the Europeans are concerned that uh, some of this revenge might land on their continent, or is this perhaps uh, what's informing some of this caution to make sure that uh, they're not a threat uh, uh, to be in the line of fire with this revenge, whatever it might be when it comes? Yes, I mean, if you read between the lines of almost every statement that has come out from a European leader, all are saying really the, the same thing, bar those specifics uh, about uh, General Soleimani himself and the activities of Iran, where we can see a few divergences, but all uh, calling for de-escalation, saying that a major conflict in is, is in nobody's interest, uh, all calling for the use of diplomacy to reduce tensions uh, using uh, the, the NATO alliance, the European Union, which is holding uh, a series of important meetings here in Brussels over the course of this week. We are seeing these very high-level meetings going on uh, both here in Brussels today with uh, Dominic Raab, the UK Foreign Secretary, meeting his French and German counterparts. As I say, the chief EU foreign diplomat has issued that invitation to Iran for his counterpart to visit. Uh, Again, 
Wait, you know what they didn't tell you, though? That they invited South Sudan, too. And next is Burkina Faso. You know, all of those places where we have change makers and all those nations where Ilhan Omar visited. And so South Sudan is the next place that we're going to be focusing on uh, in that order uh, due to proximity in some shape or form to some new cell that is being formulated, um, having left Yemen and, and Somalia and, and so we're going to start focusing on that because it's really important that uh, what resonates and that's something that the president did so eloquently today was that we value human life. No one is not valued on this planet. Their life is valued. And you know what? We have the technology where we don't need to eradicate or kill anyone. We can diffuse the situation with other methods. But what she is saying is telling you they're regrouping. This is their battle cry. They are gearing up for war, the Europeans. And the war is to maintain power. All about de-escalation, about the reduction of tensions for the use of diplomacy as opposed to force. It is in no one's interest, uh, according to any of these foreign powers, for there to be a major conflict in the Middle East. But whether words are enough at this stage, it remains to be seen. It all depends on the nature of the retaliation from Iran, whether it goes through uh, with these threats of, uh, of a serious retaliation or whether that is just the use of inflammatory language in response to what was, of course, uh, an, an inflammatory act uh, on its uh, top major general. All right, Lucy, I forget, I going to have to leave it there. Thanks very much indeed. So as you could see, they're gearing up. Russia's meeting uh, with uh, Germany and also is um, in Turkey right now. So we have Putin and uh, Erdogan that have met today. That's pretty interesting. They're sitting down and they're talking. I can tell you that Erdogan looks defeated. Putin's like really stressed out because uh, I see him huffing and puff. he really doesn't want to be there. And he's doing this. He's sitting there and he's doing this. And this comes on the heel of the meeting yesterday that the president had with Greece's prime minister. Let's see if they say anything. I don't know if anything is being said. They're just taking pictures. But Putin actually took out a piece of uh, a couple of index cards uh, clicked together with a binder clip and he's looking through it and they do not look happy. I can tell you that, that they do not look happy being there. Um, Erdogan is feeling it. And I want you guys to know that it's not just Russia. The Chinese have come forward too. And when we speak of 52 cultural sites, remember what we're really talking about here, okay? Because Yang Zhixi, the director of Office of, you know, of Foreign Affairs for China, spoke. And I played this yesterday, and it's important. He actually called Mike Pompeo on the phone, and he was like, yo, um, this death of Haji Qasem is a problem. He said, we urge the relevant sides, especially the United States, to remain calm and exercise restraint to avoid further escalating tensions. doing nothing was enormous. Enormous in the short term, in terms of the imminent attack that Qasem Soleimani was plotting. President Trump deserves all the credit for acting swiftly, forcefully, decisively. 
اقدام آمریکا بدون تردید He said America's action without any doubt is an act of state terrorism. D'abord, c'est la suite d'une escalade qui dure depuis des mois. And this is the junior minister of France, of foreign affairs, saying it's the follow-up of an escalation that's been going on for months. What we feared is happening, the power struggle between the United States and Iran heightens. No, it's the United States and the EU. Que l'on craignait, c'est-à-dire, vous voyez, un rapport de force qui s'accroît entre les États-Unis et donc l'Iran. Wir sind an einem gefährlichen Eskalationspunkt. The Germans say we do not stand behind uh, this uh, escalation. Now it's uh, crucial to contribute to the de-escalation in a cautious and considerate matter, manner. Es kommt jetzt darauf an, mit Besonnenheit und Zurückhaltung zu einer De-Eskalation beizutragen. So that's what the leaders have to say of what's going on. And I'm going to tell you something. So um, I'm going to... Uh, play a clip from yesterday's meeting uh, with the Prime Minister of Greece, which, by the way, um, I was really glad to see the people he brought with him flanking uh, the First Lady. I could tell you their faces were golden. Like, they were thinking, darn, you know, the face that they made was like this specific face. You know how we have mannerisms when you, like, you know, curl up your nose? It's like, ew. They had this face that was like... You're like a shark, like, oh my gosh, like this is really bad when they were looking at the media. But I want you to listen to what President Trump said about Iran and how they're allowed to blow everything up we have. And this was done before everything happened, right? Before everything happened or you heard about it happened. Um, this was the conversation. Now, what I'm going to tell you in the second hour uh, will be uh, very eye-opening. I've, I've told you guys how I feel about people that are surrounding our president. Very close to him, too. And yesterday, an exchange between two people made it abundantly clear just how close they lie to him. So take a listen to this across America about what evidence you had that Qassam Soleimani was planning attacks against American targets. What can you tell us about what you knew prior to ordering the attack? Well, number one, I knew the past. His past was horrible. He was a terrorist. He was a, so designated by President Obama, as you know, and he wasn't even supposed to be outside of his own country. He was so right there. Uh, but that's, in a way, the least of it. We had an attack very recently that he was in charge of where we had people horribly wounded, one dead. In fact, the number now, as of this morning, I believe, is two dead. And uh, that was his. He was uh, traveling with the head of Hezbollah. Uh, they weren't there to discuss a vacation. They weren't there to go to a nice resort someplace in Baghdad. They were there to discuss bad business. And we saved a lot of lives by terminating his life. A lot of lives have saved. They were planning something, and uh, you're going to be hearing about it, or at least uh, various people in Congress are going to be hearing about it tomorrow. Our Secretary of State covered it very well a little while ago. I saw him. I saw his news conference, Mike. And uh, if you want to mention a couple of things in addition to what I've just said, but we had tremendous information. We've been following him for a long time, and we followed his path 
for those three days. And they were not good stops. We didn't like where he was stopping. They were not good stops. We saved a lot of lives. Mike? We had deep intelligence indicating there was active plotting that put American lives at risk. And I'm confident, I think the president's confident, too, that the actions that the president took saved American lives, saved lives of Iraqi Muslims as well. It was the right thing to do, and uh, our Department of Defense did an excellent job executing the mission. Okay, I just want to say something. I urge you guys, and I'll tweet it out during the top of the hour, to watch the interview uh, with President Trump and Prime Minister Mitsotakis. Uh, just, you don't even have to listen to it. I want you to watch Pompeo's smirk, the way he sat, and look at the room of the people sitting together and what they were saying, okay, uh, with their eyes and their mouth. Pompeo had this sarcasm about him and smirked when people were asking dumb, set up, you know, <laughs> lefty type, deep state, crony type Pelosi questions. And as you know, he killed at least 608 Americans, but the number is much higher than that. He's also very much roadside bombs and all of the horrible explosives that you see. He was a big believer and sent them everywhere. Uh, he was somebody that uh, we did ourselves and we did a lot of countries a big favor. And I've been I've been hearing from countries. Uh, they were extremely happy with what we did. And if you look inside Iran itself, there were plenty of those leaders that were happy because they feared him and didn't like him in many cases. Could you also clear up, Mr. President, whether Iranian cultural sites would be on any future targets? Well, as I said yesterday, it was very interesting. Uh, they're allowed to kill our people. They're allowed to maim our people. They're allowed to blow up everything that we have, and there's nothing that stops them. And we are according to various laws, uh, supposed to uh, be very careful with their cultural heritage. And you know what? If that's what the law is, I, w I like to obey the law. But think of it. They kill our people. They blow up our people. And then we have to be very gentle with their cultural institutions. But I'm okay with it. It's okay with me. I will say this. If Iran does anything that they shouldn't be doing, they're going to be suffering the consequences, and very strongly. Well, don't forget, uh, in our case, it was retaliation, because they were there first. They killed, and look, I don't have to talk about him for 18 to 20 years. He was a monster. But just in the very short period of time, two people dead, people badly injured, and then before that, there were other attacks. And look at what he was planning. So that'll be discussed tomorrow morning. Right now, it's classified. And that'll be discussed tomorrow with Mike Pompeo and the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And is the U.S. prepared for We're prepared. We're totally prepared. And likewise, we're prepared to attack if we have to, as retribution. Mr. President, if, if Iran's leader said that any uh, response to the Soleimani uh, killing would be, quote, proportional. Uh, what would the United States do in the event of any Iranian? <laughs> so, again, John, if you look at what's going on, ours was a, an attack based on what they did. We weren't the first one out. He killed an American. Now two people are dead from the same attack, and some people very badly wounded. And that was one of his smaller endeavors. You look over his past. His past, he's been called a monster. And he was a monster. And he's no longer a monster. He's dead.
And that's a good thing for a lot of countries. And he was planning a very big attack and a very bad attack for us and other people. And we stopped him. And I don't think anybody can complain about it. I don't hear too many people other than politicians who are trying to win the presidency. Those are the ones that are complaining. But I don't hear anybody else complaining. Go ahead. You called him a monster. But your friend Erdogan called him a Nazi. Well, that's everybody to each his own. I mean, I just the question. But Erdogan, you know, uh, respects him. And your friend Erdogan is like all for Soleimani and stuff. And what did he say to each his own? I agree 100%. And I'm sure he does too. But he has a public to take care of. And I guess that's for his own reason. But I'm actually surprised to hear that. But that's okay. He's surprised to hear it? Mm. But the Greek prime minister during that meeting, actually, when they were finishing up, he kind of pointed out the issues with Turkey to the president of the United States. He pretty much cut in and said, well, I just want to say something else. And before we wrap up, let me let me just say this, you know, so after he um, said we're having great relations and et cetera, et cetera, he kind of said, I, I do want to throw in, you know, that this uh, Libya issue is a problem and that that's something that, you know, um, I'd like us to uh, discuss because Turkey's very aggressive and we need to fix that because the president, like everyone says, is friends with Erdogan. And that's what's interesting that, you know, he just sat there and was like, yeah, sure, um, whatever. Just listen to this. Um, this, this is the part, I believe, where he jumped in. Here we go. Well, that's everybody to each his own. I mean, I disagree 100%. And I'm sure he does, too. But he has a public to take care of. And I guess that's for his own reason. But I'm actually surprised to hear that. But that's okay. Are you willing to make a deal with Greece regarding F-35? Say it. Are you, are, you, are you willing to make a deal with Greece regarding F-35? So uh, Greece and I and my people, and we have a whole group of people. And as you see, they brought a lot of great representatives from Greece that we've been dealing with. Uh, we have a tremendous Greek population, over three million people, as I understand it. That's fantastic. I think I know, I really feel I know most of them. I think I know all of them, come to think of it. But it's a great population in the United States. We're going to be meeting, we're going to be talking, we're going to be negotiating, and we're going to be making a lot of deals. Let me we, add have something. A, we have a yeah. really great relationship yeah. with let, let me add something to that. Uh, Greece is interested is. in participating in the F-35 uh, program. As you know, we are already upgrading our F-16s, yeah. and that program will be completed in 2023-2024, so we're very much interested in participating in the F-35 program after that, uh, and I'm sure that the U.S. will take into consideration the fact that this country is coming out of an economic uh, crisis in terms of structuring the program uh, in the best possible way for my country. That's true, and, you know, they just signed a very big renovation of existing aircraft. They have great aircraft but it's gotten a little bit tired and uh, they've done a renovation that's going to bring it up to brand new. And uh, we look forward to doing that. Uh, a couple of our great companies are doing it. Yeah. So I want to tell you something about um, the prime minister Mitsotakis. He's the son of the Greek version of Reagan. That was uh, prime minister of Greece at the time that, Clinton and Bush were around. He was one term, then two term. It was, it was, he was the one that was trying to fight socialism. 
um, and he lost. The Socialist Party won because they brought Social Security. Remember how I said in the U.S., the way that they enslaved the population was by introducing Social Security, taking the burden off the children, taking the burden off the worker um, at a later age and being dependent on the government. So, uh, you know, this guy is the son of the Reagan version and uh, the Greek Reagan version. Up, and we're going to see if we can work out some kind of a plan for peace. I think it's important. Just one, Mr. President, can I just make one point? One point, one, one point on this issue. Uh, I think it, it is important to, to point out that uh, the agreement signed between Turkey uh, and Libya infringe upon Greece's uh, sovereign rights uh, and essentially cause uh, great uh, concern and instability. Uh, in a region which uh, is already highly problematic. So we'd be very yeah. much looking uh, to your support to make sure that these types of provocative agreements uh, are not being put into place. And I think we should refrain in general in the Eastern Mediterranean for any sort of activity that inflames passions and that doesn't you know, promote uh, regional peace and security. Yeah. So we'll be very much looking forward um, uh, to, your, uh, to your support on this issue because it is a very important issue for my country. Mr. President, if, if, if the Iraqi government says it expects U.S. forces to leave the country after the letter that it received, General Mark Milley said, by mistake yesterday, what do you say to the Iraqi government about the possibility of U.S. forces leaving based on that letter? Well, I don't know anything about that letter. The letter was sent, and I understand it was an unsigned letter. Uh, so I could maybe let Mike speak to it. I don't They're know laughing, by the way. They're smiling. Unsigned or what? But the Iraqi government is saying they're taking you at your word. They expect U.S. forces to leave. Well, I think it's the worst thing that can happen. Mike Pompeo is literally laughing. He's crossed his leg. The prime minister of Greece is laughing. Like, they're literally laughing at the media. This is the state that we're at. The world is laughing at us because we have these idiots asking these questions, uh, purporting all of these things that aren't true and telling the world things that aren't true. Uh, kind of like how they mentioned that, uh, you know, we had so many deaths yesterday. We had 30 people reported dead that were Americans. Listen to NBC. We're just getting reports now that a second wave of rocket, launch, rocket attacks have been launched uh, from Iran. The IRGC was saying that Ayatollah Khamenei, the supreme leader of this country, was in the control center coordinating these attacks. Uh, this is uh, um, this bit I'm, I'm not sure about, but the Iran state media is claiming that 30 U.S. soldiers have been killed in this attack. Now, this is not confirmed. This is just coming from Iranian media. But we have just uh, stepped over the precipice, Chris. Uh, we wow, right? The fake media. The fake media. Listen to CNN talking about what's Trump's strategy with Iran. You know, this is where they have to eat some humble pie with statements like this. I think Trump wants something that looks like the Iranian deal, but has a couple of additional measures to it. So first of all, it would not end after 15 years. It wouldn't have a sunset clause. It would continue to go. Um, it's also something that would probably include some level of inspections or something around Iranian ballistic missile development, for example. So it'd be a little broader than what Kerry and Obama got done. The U.S. would be negotiating that from a position of strength. Iran is weaker today than it was when Trump became president. If he wants that opportunity, he certainly has a window for it. There you go. 
I think there Trump go, wants right? something that looks there like the Iranian deal. There you go is what deal. they say. There you go. We're telling President Trump, maybe you want to do this because then, you know, you won't be hurt. We need some deal. No, Iran needs to be cut out of enriching uranium, period. And this 50-year deal and setting it up as a blind spot is not going to work. And you can uh, throw whatever you want toward the Democrats so they can have talking points. But um, leaf bread doesn't work. Real news. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tory, always here, 12 to 2 p.m. Eastern Time. So we're going to talk about what happened yesterday. But in order to do that, um, I think it's important that we take every year of this president's um, presidency and show you how he has created the foundations. He's laid the foundations to propel starting 2021. After the next elections, there is no undoing what he just undid. He is undoing decades, decades of careful, thoughtful planning. Most of it implemented post-1984. <laughs> Very odd year. Uh, so we're going to start with the three things. This is number three, right? So the question is, what's number four? And that's going to be coming... I would like to say just before Passover 2020. So let's say like the 9th, 10th, 11th of April. 410, 411, 49, 410. So we're on the 3rd. We've just seen the 3rd completion, the 3rd year. And now we're in the 4th year where we see the initiation publicly in April. So what was the first thing the president did? The first thing he did was take care of Saudi Arabia. How? Prince Al-Walid bin Dalal was arrested, right? And he went to prison. Remember that? Who was this guy? Who was he? He was the bought out, you would say, Saudi. This is what happened first. This is how it rolled out. And he and the Saudis definitely did it. Because... When this northern Iraq started issue with what they call ISIL, Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant, right? And then sometimes they refer to it as is or Islamic State, right? You know how they keep changing ISIS, ISIL. Very important, you know, these words, these definitions or these misspellings or diversions or, 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 right? What we need to remember is that the first uh, thing that President Trump did was to have Saudi Arabia's prince taken to jail. And the thing is, it's because he was refusing to pay six 
billion dollars to the crown prince bin Salman, right? That's why. And he was supposed to pay that to secure his ability to be free. So he couldn't pay. Why? Because we had his assets. Remember, you hit the purse, you hit the money, and you disable them. So in November, November, the day before the 5th of November, where the 5th of November had happened, uh, it's so weird, right? These dates, it's so significant. All the princes and ministers and other, you know, super rich people of Saudi Arabia came up together and, you know, decided, yeah, okay, he's going to go to jail. And they then turned a hotel into more of a luxury person, right? But that is exactly what happened. The first thing we did was ensure that if Saudi Arabia wanted to be on this page, because they only have 30 years of oil left, remember that, 30 years at the rate that they're drilling, do they have left? That's it, they have. And they want to maintain, they want to maintain the black box because that's the only thing that is still in their field. They needed to take accountability for those that were in the front because it wasn't just you know, this prince. I mean, there's another 300 of them. Remember, it was Usama bin Laden that was one of them too. Come on. So that's the first thing we did was tell the demi enemy, listen, man, you're just like the guy that fronts the money, but you're going to run out. You don't have the oil we have. You don't have the assets you need to maintain your kingdom. So you either work with us so that way, you know, we can spin this off. You can find another niche or, you know, we'll just let you wither away and go. And that's what happened. The second year was uh, the second year we saw completion, right? Because the groundwork has been done for a very, very long time. The groundwork mitigating the plans that the other side had, that nefarious global cabal. So as they were writing their script, this year we're going to do this, that year, hey, this was predicted or this is what we saw, you know, traveling into time. So how we're going to counter that is by doing this. But the thing is, as they were writing out their plans and going through the looking glass, you know, that they no longer had after 2012, there were people that were able to have their own type of looking glass and then see what their plans were. Those that were unwritten in order to have counters. So this was already done. So the next step was China. In order to deal with China, you had to deal with North Korea. That was done. Finished. This one, step three, the third year, it was what? Iran. Iran. Mm, Iran, that is coupled with the Ukraine, of course. The Ukraine is your visible money laundering machine. They're not even trying to hide it. You know, it's constantly being pointed out by the thorn in the butts of everyone in the EU, which is Russia. And so as we exposed where everything goes from Iran to the Ukraine, this is being done. So that's finished. This is closing up chapter is almost done and that chapter will close by April. We're done. So all of this has been pre-planned. All of them believe that, you know, they have some way of predicting and, and doing which they can't. The thing is, is that if 
since their, you know, magical type ability to see things was gone, you know, it was gone for them, but it wasn't gone for everyone. And this is where good people around the planet bound, you know, joined together. Those that had worked, worked with them, decided enough. It's time to repent, try, time to see that this is not a good place that we're heading to. And this is why they are so terrified and they're grasping at straws right now. This is why they were shocked to see that the president of the United States took a, what did they call it? A risk. Was it really a risk though? When you already know the outcome. See yesterday, CNN put out this clip saying that the U S was sending B 52 bombers to the region in case U S strikes Iran. What? Listen. Hold on. There we go. Not be like our experienced army. If the U.S. engages in a military clash with Iran, it could be costly. This will not be like our uh, our actions in Iraq, in Afghanistan, or in Syria. This is a conflict on an entirely different scale with a highly sophisticated, well-trained, and well-armed uh, adversary. An adversary that would almost certainly turn to guerrilla tactics early on. Military analysts say Iran could stage attacks such as those last year on tankers in the Strait of Hormuz and Saudi oil fields. The U.S. blamed Iran for those hits. Iran denied it. But world oil markets were briefly rocked nonetheless. And bigger attacks could undeniably create larger shocks. Or Iran could call on its many allies in the region to carry its fight against America. Shia militias, Hezbollah, Hamas, the Houthis, groups that could use Iranian intelligence, logistics, weapons, and more to launch terror strikes on U.S. allies, embassies, military bases, American officials, or even private citizens abroad or at home. There is a network of uh, Iranian uh, uh, elements within the United States that the FBI is watching. In terms of sheer firepower, Iran is no match for the U.S., which has more warships, planes, helicopters, tanks, and active troops. They know that if we go all the way up the escalation ladder, you know, our capabilities, our air force, our naval capabilities will destroy theirs. They're much happier playing at a lower level, sort of the asymmetric level. But when and how and aimed at which targets? All we know for sure is that the Iranians are promising a response to the killing of that top-level military leader. Definitely there will be a revenge. There will be a harsh revenge. Uh, uh, Iran will, uh, will act uh, based on its own choosing. And the White House? We will respond with great force and great vigor if the Iranian leadership makes a bad decision. Ha, there's CNN gaslighting again, claiming that Iran is sophisticated and they will take us out and we are headed into war and we will all die. This is what they did yesterday. This is what they were doing to not only Americans, but people worldwide thinking, oh my gosh, this is war. This is it. We're all going to die because we're going to level Iran. We're going to annihilate them. No. We're not. This is exactly what the mainstream media is. You got a lot of crooked journalists. You're crooked as hell. Okay, thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed it. You got a lot of crooked journalists. You're crooked as hell. Okay. 
all crooked, all of them. So you know what's funny is that, as we know, Mike Pompeo had said that on January 3rd he was leaving for the Ukraine to start globetrotting, ending in Cyprus, the last clearinghouse of all this dirty, dirty money. But in the meantime, this happens. And in the meantime, we had what? We had, say it, a plane go down. So this is where it gets really, really interesting. The Iranians supposedly struck our bases. They struck our bases from Western Iran, and they were shooting short-range missiles. What I know is, is that it didn't happen there. What I also know is, is that Space Force had been deployed the day before. Now, when I found out about this plane crashing and they were claiming was a mechanical malfunction the minute it lifted off from Tehran International headed for the Ukraine, I thought, well, who's on that plane? And when you look at the wreckage, it looks riddled like it was really taken down because not one person survived from this mechanical failure. Now, when you look at the manifest, all of them are mm, Arab derivative names, except for five or six, which all seem to have one common theme. They all seem to be working for an, a company, a GIS company. Mm. And I wonder, do we have any contracts with those companies ourselves? Do we have anything that you know, kind of links us together because this company itself has offices in Minsk. Oh, Belarus, right? We have Kiev, Lviv, um, Kharkov, uh, Krakow, Poland, uh, Naples, Florida. And then here's the real big wild card. Wilmot, Illinois, a village. It literally calls itself a village that has about 25,000 people. And this office of this massive company that also has offices in Dusseldorf and London that actually won the GSA awards in the UK for outsourcing. So this company has an office in Illinois right above a state farm office. I kid you not. I walked it with Google Maps and then I called all the neighboring businesses too. Ask them questions like, have you seen a lot of Arabs or any Russians or Ukrainians come by? Well, the businesses that were housed in the same two-story building felt really uncomfortable with the questions, but there were other surrounding businesses that were a lot more loose-lipped. A lot of Arabs, yeah, going in and out. I just thought that they were getting insurance. No. Uh, yeah, I did see people that you could think were Russian, I guess. I don't know what Ukrainians, do they look different? <laughs> but they do have accents uh, because a lot of them like to shop at the meat market. <laughs> so here's where it gets curious. We have a plane that had a full house. From the manifest going through it, it seems like families were on it. So it was mom, dad, kids, or mom and kids. There were 19, special number that one nine, children. And um, 
families. One of them was is on Twitter, is followed by a lot of people that I follow, and he's Canadian. His wife and two kids were there too. So it makes you, you also have to think during the time that Iran was supposedly shooting missiles from their west side, more west toward Iraq, the plane on the east coast, right by the water, was shot down by a missile. So we had missiles going in both ways. And think of it this way. If you are a nation that is shooting missiles, and obviously you're just going for Americans, right? You don't want to shoot any other country's people or anything. You're going to ground your planes, right? Especially at the border of Iran and Iraq and your country. No planes will be flying. It'll be like, no flying. We're at war. Everybody ground yourself. If you're in the middle of Iran and you're going to go to your nearest airport, because we're going to start shooting. And if you're in the way, we warned you. That's usually what happens. Well, it seems that all the traffic Internationally, those flying to, you know, Ethiopia, those flying to Somalia, those flying to Egypt, were all being routed, and those Abu Dhabi, etc., were all being routed. It was so congested. It was like a superhighway of airplanes literally on the border of Iraq and Iran. You know, Iraq's eastern border, Iran's western. So where all the missiles were supposedly flying from, we had it jam-packed with commercial airlines flying to Dubai from London, from Zurich, from wherever and their mother, the Chinese. Everything was routed through there and it seemed like to flow because as they passed Iraq, then they would turn under Iraq to then head to Africa if they were going that way or continue south. I followed the path and I'm like, well, this is bizarre. They're showing pictures that I've seen before and all the planes are being rerouted and we see that central and north central... Uh, Iraq is a dead zone. There's nothing flying there. Israel grounded all planes, right? Syria had no planes. It's like, well, wait a second. Why are they telling us the stuff is coming from there when this is the dead air zone? A pretty prominent circle of no-go zone. You know, kind of like how Haji Qasem was not like somewhere specific and at the time of us striking him, and there weren't really a lot of planes flying around there. So it seems really bizarre that, oh, look over here, this is happening when it's not. This is the IRGC. Who is the IRGC? IRGC is the arm of this globalist cabal. And we had the answer. And how did we have the answer? How did we know what they were planning? How did we know where they were meeting so that we can eliminate them. How did we know what was happening? How did we know to prompt for the dome? How did we know? Because we deployed the owl. And the thing is, we did it in the presence of billions of people to watch on Periscope. We put up our first Space Force. No survivors from a mechanical crash. No survivors. And a lot of these um, people work for this company, right? This company that kind of looks like CrowdStrike, but another version. It's more 
political stuff, more artificial intelligence, predictive software, right? Predictive software kind of sounds like all that stuff with like Seidel and CrowdStrike. It's just like, and, and of course they have three offices in the Ukraine and they work within the geospatial intelligence industry. And it just so happened that all of them with their families were leaving. I mean, all of the names, we have them. They're all not really super American, super British, super good. They were all, you know, descendants of other nations, right? Not your typical Smith, except like I said, for five names that stuck out like sore thumbs. So why did the media gaslight? Why did they wag the dog? This should be enough to show you where the media lies. I mean, remember, Maddo even said, just because I said it doesn't mean that um, it's true because we're an entertainment company. So should we take what they say as entertainment? Because they are not telling us the facts. They're lying. Now, the, the thing that I want to mention is our government has not yet made an official statement on the Ukrainian uh, airplane, you know, Ukrainian International Airlines, with all these people that died. And it's tragic, isn't it? Because there were children, 19 of them on there. 19. And like I said, all linked to this one company, Instix. So it's, it's, it's really, really bizarre how no one looked at the manifest. No one thought, well, something must be going on. I mean, if there's a company that has offices in Minsk, Kiev, Kharkiv, Kiev, Krakow, and this weird, you know, village in Illinois and Naples, Florida, you know, which is bizarre because even there it's over. It's like a small thing. How are they headquartered? It's so weird. This company works in GIS and predictive software. I mean, and the employees were on that plane. I'm just saying it's pretty interesting how we haven't taken an official position yet. And I expect that the secretary of state would, uh, you know, later on today, I guess, what is it? One o'clock, one thirty Eastern time. So yeah, he might've even done it. I'll have to check, but that's how, um, we see what's really happening. Why is this escalation happening now with Iran? Is it because he pulled out of the Iran, uh, Iranian deal? No. Is it because, you know, he's super winning? Kind of. But what is it that is really at the bottom of this, this, the, the barrel here in regards to this Iran nuclear deal that doesn't sit right? And it's something that we've been talking about for over a year on this show, mentioning it and saying, well, what's going on here? Remember the start deal? Remember the one where Putin was like, I'm a little bit concerned here. Because remember, in that um, episode, that uh, episode, right? the show that I did, I was telling you about history and how for 50 years uh, now, Iran has been processing uh, most of the uranium sent to them to enrich to a certain percentage and then kicks it all off to Moscow 
where they continue and then they redistribute to France and Argentina and how Argentina was brought on in 1984 and how this was all being done and how this is the process. But, you know, Putin in October 2016 got really PO'd with Obama and Hillary because their deal is in, in regards to disposing the uranium, right? Disposing it and how it was done in certain canisters. Turned out they weren't doing it. So that meant that they were selling it and they're not supposed to stockpile it or sell it or do anything. And he realized that he was being duped. And this happened all in October of 2016. Until then, Putin was quite happy because they were making tons of money and they were uh, really finding an instinct. This is how Uranium One happened, just so you know. So now we enter into this era where we have Putin hopping around the globe, uh, meeting with people. He met with the uh, foreign minister of Iran as well. He's meeting with Merkel. Uh, today he's meeting with Erdogan because it all has to do with the treaty that is expiring in 2021. And Russia has been talking about it for a while now. And we've been talking about it on this show for a while now. And so as we have CNN, MSNBC, and all these other channels chiming in, telling you, oh, maybe he just wants a better one with no sunset clause. Maybe he should do that. So there's peace. No, we're going to eradicate your blind spot, period. There's not going to be any more. And we're going to talk about this start deal because we need China and Russia on board because the Europeans right now are arming themselves to the teeth with the uranium that was smuggled outside of the U.S. to Canada by Hillary Clinton. So this is the reality that we have to look at. Where did all that uranium go from the United States to Canada? Is it sitting up there in the United Kingdom? We'll revisit that right after this break. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. So now get yourself comfortable because you're going to hear something no one's told you about. January 7, 2020, I told you is a very important date. But what happened on January 7, 2020 at 4 a.m. Eastern time? Do you know where Vladimir Putin was? He was in Syria. Surprise visit to Syria. And today he is in Turkey. And that happened. And so people might suspect I think that um, Putin, this is what's going on. Putin told President Trump, no, 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 no. President Trump alerted the areas that needed to be protected by our sky fortress. Because in order to get from areas in Iraq to Israel, which they consider the holy center of, you know, their problems. And... There are very specific reasons that area had to be dead zoned, which is Syria, etc. So just so you understand, this is what happened. And this is coming on the heels of this conversation that has been happening. And believe it or not, only CBS reported it, which is shocking. Take a listen. With Russia, President Trump spoke with Vladimir Putin over the weekend. The two discussed an expiring agreement known as New Start. That deal will come to an end next year. It was implemented in 2010 and aimed to curb both countries' access to a strategic nuclear arsenal. 
But as Franco Ordonez reports for NPR, President Trump is now pushing for a loftier replacement to the agreement. That push is sparking some concerns over the current one in place. Franco joins me now from Washington. He's a White House correspondent for NPR. Franco, good to see you. You report that President Trump has not ruled out renewing the current treaty. Can you walk us through what provisions in New START uh, actually include? So what New START does, and as you pointed out, it's a Cold War treaty to kind of limit the number of nuclear warheads. But it's some very specific nuclear warheads. They're basically long-range nuclear warheads, and it limits to it about 1,500. The concern, though, is that it doesn't apply to some shorter-range uh, warheads that Russia has an abundance of. And those are the kind of weapons that can be used in the field. And there's, there's a lot of concern about those. And that's something that the Trump administration wants to kind of get a grasp of, as well as you point out, bring China into the mix, uh, which is investing very heavily in its own nuclear arsenal. Well, do we know what broadening the pact would actually look like in practice? What is the Trump administration actually pushing to add? So what they want to do is they want to bring, they want a more, they want a bigger, they want a bigger pack. They want more weapons to be included. Some of these non-strategic, these, uh, these weapons that are used in the field, as one expert told me, what's the difference between strategic or non-strategic nuclear weapons? They're both nuclear weapons mm. and they can both do a lot of damage. The other issue is bringing China in. China has been investing heavily in the matter. Not only that, in the past year, it's, invest, it's, it's done more missile strikes or more missile tests, excuse me, than any other country in the world. All right, I'll let you get your drink of water while I read you the next question here, Franco. Um, you know, it's interesting because President Trump has repeatedly said that China <clears throat> is excited to join in on an agreement. And Beijing has publicly pushed back against this idea before. Why does the Trump administration feel it is important to have China as a player in a new deal? Well, as I was kind of mentioning, China has been investing very heavily in its nuclear arsenal. It's, it's more than doubled uh, the weapons that it does have, but it really has a very paltry amount of weapons in comparison to uh, the United States and Russia in the hundreds where the United States has uh, and Russia has thousands of weapons each. Um, but China has also been doing a lot of missile testing uh, that, the, that the United States is concerned about. Also, President Xi has talked about uh, wanting, the, wanting China to be a first-tier country in this, in this, in this realm, mm -hmm. which would be on the, on, the, on the par of the United States uh, and Russia. So that's, that's an issue that is a big concern of the United States. Another matter is some experts, such as Tim Morrison, who was, who, was, who was previously the lead on this issue at the White House, says you want to bring in China now and not when it's already matching Russia and China. Well, you report that experts believe reaching a trilateral deal within a year is highly unlikely. So what happens if a new agreement is not actually in place by 2021? It is very highly unlikely. 13, 13 months is not a lot of time to do this kind of complicated work, negotiations. There's no special envoy in place. If this doesn't happen, uh, that's another big deal. Well, what do we... Well, 
Oh, go ahead, Franco. Well, I was just going to say, we would have the first time in decades uh, the two greatest nuclear powers without legally binding limits. It could potentially, according to the experts that I've spoken to, set off a new arms race. Mm. Um, and as we know, kind of relations between the U.S. And, the, and Russia are already difficult. This could make it even more difficult. So with those incredibly high stakes that you just laid out, Franco, what do we know about who actually has the president's ear when it comes to foreign policy regarding Russia. Well, I mean, we do know that I mentioned Tim Morrison earlier. Yeah. He left in October. The new person is Andrew Peake. He's kind of replaced him. But he was an expert on uh, Iraq and Iran. He was at the State Department previously. Robert O'Brien, he's the new National Security Advisor um, at the uh, National Security Council. Um, he has discussed Russia, talked about bringing in Russian officials to meet with the president. But as we know, the president operates kind of, he kind of moves to the beat of his own drum mm -hmm. on this issue. He is often pushed back on traditional pushes. He wants to bring Russia more into the fold. Um, and that's another concern that a lot of people have, that there are not more people kind of experts on these issues talking to the president. And instead, he's kind of doing it a little bit on his own. Um, and that those who are experts in arms control, even those who support these methods and this effort to bring China in to renegotiate, the concern is there is not someone who is focused exclusively on this matter. Right. Because they don't need to focus. Here's the 411 on this, okay? Long range nukes. Does that mean China shooting a nuke to get to New York? No, it does not. Does that mean Moscow shooting a nuke to get to New York? No, it does not. It means deploying nukes from space because Putin told you that himself. All of these nations have positioned themselves as such. But the nation you don't hear about that has deployed nuclear warheads into outer space, this is why it is necessary for Space Force, is the European Union. You never hear about it. You never see about it. But there's tons of videos showing all of them going to a specific place in the United Kingdom, being moved from Europe on ships and on trucks, going and going and going. And the U.N. knows about this because it's a U.N.-owned asset. And you would have to think, wow, could Allah be on the dark side of the moon? And the thing is, is that this is why they are teaming up. President Trump, no matter, let's, let's, let's parse this. It's Russia, China, and the United States. For some reason, you hear nothing about the European Union, nothing about the Arab nations. Why are we focusing on these three nations only? It's because it's them against the global cabal that has set that up for a very long time. And this is where all your money's going in regards to, well, what did Hillary Clinton call it? Climate change, you know, that sets fires. Climate change. You mean Islamic, radical Islamic terrorism or weaponized religion, as I like to call it, because today it's Islam. I mean, they tried it with the whole Christian crusade stuff. It didn't work that much, you know, self-beating and, you know, hanging people and putting them to death because the Pope said so won't fly now. So we, you know, we just radicalize people with religion, regardless of what it is, right? It could be pastafarian. You know, you might see a wave of that too.
So what do we have? We have three nations that have the capability of regulating, and it is in size of actual land size and population size. Speaking of population, have you noticed how many older people in the United States have died after getting the flu vaccine this year? Just saying. So what are they trying to do? First of all, they're telling you there's not enough time. There is more than enough time. President Xi understands that his nation operates under a very strict and rigid communist regime. It's more communist-ish on the verge of dictatorship, but he's trying to find a good balance to maintain his interests and protect his people as well as continue in that authoritarian path. Now, Russia, on the other hand, like I told you, is trying to be more um, docile in the way they rule, but they have a demi-authoritarian regime because it's, they're still you know, trying to get out of this rut from the communism that was superimposed on them, right? Because it was superimposed. The only way you can control your enemy is by putting them in a box. So when they broke free from that communism and they're, tr- they're still trying to find their footing, that good middle ground, so we don't have the oligarchs, you know, the mobsters and all that stuff coming out. So what President Trump is doing, he's giving them the ability to smile again and say, listen, man, we could all be transparent, you know, because if you shoot a nuke from space to attack the earth, your Chinese people will be dead, too. So it's going to be all your fault because it's going to do this mushroom cloud and then it's going to poison this water and do all that. And let's look at China as the one by one. Let's look at China as a nation. They promote non-GMO foods. They promote health and well-being. They want to take care of their citizens. They put children first. Yes, they, uh, <laughs> they bury them in studies so they could be the best, the best, the best, the best. And they still have that dictatorship-like mentality, Mao mentality-ish of not um, valuing every single citizen's life as an equal, right? They do know that uh, radical Islamic terrorism is a plague and they've taken it to the extent that any Muslim is bad and so off with their heads. But they're really trying. They're struggling to find their identity. This is where we're at. That they don't understand their identity and what President Trump is doing. He's like, listen, the founders had a really good idea and you guys can do this in your nation too. But what we need to do is work together because these people are relentless. They don't care if they blow people up because they could be on the dark side of the moon already. You don't know. I mean, look at the people they hang out with. Remember, where was the first vacation Obama took with the guy that has an airplane that could take you to space for dinner? Right. So these are the things we should be looking at. This start agreement is going to happen. And like they said, oh, it looks a little bit lofty. Yeah, because we're going to be transparent. We know that if you shoot it, we'll shoot it and we'll all die. Is that going to be what we're going to do? We're just going to kill everyone and have like five people in space survive and have people lost in space forever. I mean, do we really want that to be history? No, because. These, these two nations that we are negotiating with on how to defuse the situation that has been in place by these evil dictators sitting in Brussels right now is by being transparent and having full disclosure. You know, it's only our nation that covers things up. It's only our nation that doesn't speak. I mean, this has been going on for eons, you know, but for, for whatever reason, you know, the United States of America, the government decided to 
keep things away from the public to not know. And you can see that from the media. I was, like I said, surprised that CBS was the only one that reported these discussions about the START agreement. And this is why it was important to get to Iran now. This is why it was important that we deploy Space Force now. Because the whole plan is, is that they're rushing to get that uranium out. And Putin is in Turkey saying, dude, he already knows what's up. He already knows that the uranium is being smuggled through Turkey. He already knows. We all know. Now, you either can side with what you want or, you know, I'm going to have to take a back seat. And you saw Putin. He took no sides in Iran. Neither did China. They're like, dude, we need to defuse the situation. Because the thing is, they don't feel prepared enough if the United Kingdom decides to shoot off a nuke from uh, space. And not the United Kingdom, uh, per se, that nation itself. We're talking, what did they, how did they call it? A united um a, a, a unified front and coordinated response of the EU. And this is why NATO was very careful. NATO was careful. You know, Stoltenberg was very careful on what he said and what and how he did it. But he also said that the decision to take out Soleimani and the decision of whatever's going on in Iran was completely unilateral by the U.S., and so now they're all conferring and scattering, saying, well, we should take them out. Let's just blow them up and we'll tell them aliens did it. But the thing is, we already got Space Force up there. That's why we had that rush. Yep, signing it in. It's done. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Space Force is going to be in North Dakota in Grand Forks. Very important base up here next week. So this is where it all gets down to. Who is the one that is armed to the teeth and you can't see it? You know, we laugh, you know, they don't have an army. They don't, but they have nukes in the sky that could take us out in a heartbeat. Russia knows it. China knows it. We know it. But, you know, we used to play with that team. And now we know where they're getting the uranium from. And it's not Iran not having when we, you know, whenever I hear someone say, well, we won't let Iran. It's not Iran. It's not Iran. Iran is done. We've diffused that situation. They're with us. I can tell you that most of the intelligence that we had to take out their people and to have this fake war happen was with the help of the Iranians. It makes more sense because the threat is the EU. This is why President Trump made one thing clear during that most magnificent Statement he made after such a fake wag the dog war. He said he's calling on NATO. Why? Why NATO? NATO needs to get involved in the Middle East. Why NATO? That's what you need to ask yourself. How is NATO going to play a role in the Middle East? It's all their assets. It's all they're doing. This is why the EU Council is running to get things done. But remember, Pompeo had set up trips all the way over to Nursaid to Kazakhstan. So when the EU Council now is in session, you know, we did make the preliminary security checks. We hear and we see everything. Space Force. It's down to that this start agreement, 13 months, yeah, it's highly unlikely it's going to, it's totally happening. Totally happening for the survival of free 
humans, let's say. Think about it. Where's Obama in all this? Where is Obama in all this? Because, you know, they had to fund all this stuff. And look at the people that were funding most of this stuff. Look at the people that were funding the space exploration and deployments. Right. It was people like weirdos like, I don't know, sir, what's his face with the island who Obama went on vacation with and was cuddling with on a boat. Same guy that sends you, like I said, to dinner into space. This is all coming together and the expose is going to be massive. And it's being done in a drip, drip, drip fashion. And it won't be concluded until April. It won't be concluded until April because it is after April 10th that the final step in order to unleash the hounds on them begins, you know, within the first fortnight of April. Let me not be so specific because time, you know, even if we are really good at history, sometimes we don't remember dates spot on, right? So that is something that people need to see. It's all about what... What Okay, so you're having the perceived situation, but there's an actual situation. So the actual situation is that. That the start agreement that I've been talking about for over a year, this is really, really important, that's being put, 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 is what's key here. Everything else is a moving part. It makes the the theft of elections nothing. The countless murders that they have committed to silence people nothing. The political retribution nothing. I mean, you know, it's it's actually nothing. Chess is what it is. Chess. Hmm. Chess. Chess is what is at stake here. Patience. Not to hit the clock. Patience. Not to be reactive. Patience. The Democrats have lost their grip on voters. The only hope they had was to what? Steal the vote and that's gone. The people are starting to wake up to the BS. Yesterday was perfect. So much misinformation, so much, so many lies, and a fake war that never really happened. It is 2020. We do not need bombs and guns to, to, to have war. All we need is like maybe an EMP or something from space to damn stuff. Could it be that they shot missiles from somewhere and they were jammed and they just fell as duds? Could be. But then you have to think, why would Iran take down that plane? Why would Iran shoot down that plane? Or was it Iran? Were these missiles coming from the Iran that they tell you about, which is the front name for this global cabal? It could have been the Germans shooting them. You don't know that. Because we don't know anything. We had them sitting there showing us pictures from years ago saying, look at this, bombed. Oh my gosh, Americans, dead. None of that happened. And unless you're there, how do you know what's up? You don't. You have to trust it. And can you really trust it? This is why yesterday when I was 
on the phone with friends talking about this. I was like, oh my gosh, this is such BS, blah, blah, blah. You know, how is this going to happen? You know, how are we going to fix this? How do we tell people stop saying that there's, why is Twitter trending Iran versus US when they're attacking Iraq? And I was thinking, come on guys, what if France had a base in California and China's like, oh, I don't like you France. I'm going to start shooting at you. And they start shooting at the French hosted, you know, on one of our bases, you know, that hosts French people. Are we just going to let it happen? Like, we'll be like, well, you know, those missiles are intended for the French, so we're not going to, like, retaliate or anything. Do you see what I'm saying? It looks so bizarre. And people were just eating it up, eating it up. Like, yep, 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 this is happening. You know, when we found almost $30 million hidden by Barack Hussein Obama in Singapore, that kind of rang a bell. Whoa, did you remember how I told you about... um, uh, DKW and Deutsche Bank and how DKW split up and how Deutsche Bank took a part of it and how they went to Singapore. I'm just pointing that out. You know, it's, it's all coming together and I want you guys to have faith. I hope you can see it because this was perfect checkmate for the mainstream media right now. What we did was perfect. It showed their true colors. It showed where they were. My eyes were focused on Hawaii with some fake alerts, but we had that on lockdown because the one thing we have to be careful of is a massive false flag to call it retaliation for the Iranians. And that's where our eyes are. We're paying attention because we know how they operate and why they would operate. Remember these corrupt individuals are creatures of comfort, right? They do the same thing over and over and over again. So there is nothing new they can throw that we can't foresee. But on the other hand, we can also foresee because we have that ability. Some of us do. And it's the some of us that sit on the right side of history, you know, I, you know, watching the pundits yesterday on Twitter and on, uh, you know, TV talking about this war drove me insane. I felt like, oh, my gosh, look at what they're doing. Oh, my gosh, they're literally gaslighting the whole world right now. And everyone's eating. Oh, gosh, they're saying it's against the U.S. Why don't you say it's against Iraq? What are the Iraqis doing? They're sitting there and letting it happen. Mm. They weren't. That's not how it works. And, and, you know, just now, you know, in Turkey, Soleimani and Putin who met, Putin just reinforced exactly what was said by the reporter during that meeting yesterday uh, between the president of the United States and the prime minister of Greece, which is, you know, Erdogan admires Kassem. And he says that this is an illegal assassination. I mean, he said the same thing about the Egyptian guy for the Muslim Brotherhood, which tells you exactly where Haji Kassem sat. So no pity. And Putin just nodded to that comment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So tomorrow is going to be fun. Let's just leave it at that. Tomorrow's going to be fun. So on that note, I want to wish all of you a fabulous evening. Continue to pray. Continue to have faith. And above all, continue to make sure, make sure that you know where you're getting your news from. Stay objective.
God bless from all of us here at Red State Talk Radio. 